Okay, this morning we are going to continue our series in Jonah. We're calling this Escaping God. Some of you are thinking, you can't escape God. You're right. That's the entire point of the series, okay? But this morning we are in Jonah chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open to Jonah chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, just keep an eye on the screens. The verses are going to come up on the screens beside me. And I'm going to read all of chapter 3, which is uh, 10 whole verses. So here we go. This is Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it in the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now this morning we're halfway through this short book of the Bible. Jonah is only four chapters. It moves pretty quickly, and we're already halfway through it in this, in this series, and we see a new beginning. We, we, we see this incredible thing in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. It's kind of a new start, isn't it? Let's, let's try this again. And the reason we're trying it again, and, and God is going again with Jonah, is because the first time it didn't go terribly well. Let's remember what kind of got us to this part of the story so far. I've already mentioned it briefly in the service, but Jonah is a prophet of God. That's a man that God speaks through. God said, go to Nineveh, go to that great city, Nineveh. When God says great in chapter 1, he's not referring to it in a moral sense of being great. It's great in its size. At the time, it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was a big city by ancient standards. Go to that city and, and call them to repent from their wickedness because the Assyrian Empire was, was, a, was a wicked empire, torturing people, ruthless in how they went about conquering other nations. And other peoples. And Jonah, he's a, he's a Hebrew, right? One of the people of God, son of God. He's like, nope, I am not going there. No way am I going there and calling those people to repent. So he's supposed to go northeast. He goes south. He gets on a boat. And off he goes to get as far away from Nineveh as he can. Escaping God. We read that in chapter 1. Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. It's not just disobedience. No, I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. It is also, I don't want to be near you. And friends, this is what our sin does. It's not just I'm choosing to obey, it's I'm, or I'm choosing to disobey. It's I'm choosing to disobey and not be near. I don't want 
to be near you. Friends, we know this in our friendships, don't we? We know this in our, in our relationships. There can be times when we're feeling tension in a relationship where it's not just whether it's in a marriage or whether it's in a friendship or with a colleague at work, a professional relationship or something like that. It's not only, no, I'm choosing not to do what you say, it's I'm choosing not to do what you say and I'm choosing to be distant from you and to get away from you. This is exactly what Jonah is doing with God, trying to get away to escape from the presence of the Lord. He ends up on the ship. The ship ends up in a storm because God is going, no, I'm, I, I'm not going to let you escape from my presence. You are my son and I love you. So he causes this storm. God causes this storm that absolutely just kind of lashes the boat. The sailors on the boat are absolutely losing their minds. Eventually, Jonah says, if you throw me in, eventually, if you throw me in, the storm will cease. This storm is happening because of me. Well, no, and they try to row. They're really noble sailors. No, 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 let's try to get out of this storm again. But the storm gets even worse. Finally, okay, in goes Jonah. Storm ceases. Jonah there in the sea then gets swallowed by this fish. That's the word that's used in the ESV, the English Standard Version. We can, we can think of it as a whale if we would like. doesn't really matter. Jonah gets swallowed by a big marine mammal. And there he is. He's in the belly of this fish. And he prays. And that's what we've been looking at over the past few weeks. In absolute desperation, he prays out to God. And then at the very, very end of chapter 2, we get chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish after Jonah makes this wonderful declaration. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And then we read in verse 10, Then the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Salvation, saving, belongs to the Lord. And we love that. And Christians in the room, we hear that. Yes, salvation belongs to the Lord. And sometimes when we're, when we're looking for salvation, when we're looking for God to save us, we, we really want it to be kind of saving us on our terms, don't we? We want it to be saving us in a way that is, that is kind of comfortable for us. But we see something very different in that verse. And the fish vomited Jonah out. What do we take from that? Clearly it is as sometimes, quite often, the work of salvation is messy. See, we'd like to think that, 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 that the, the clouds kind of parted and the whale gently swam over to the shore and, and, and graciously opened his mouth and then the tongue magically appeared like stair steps, right? And Jonah kind of comes out, he emerges and there's absolutely nothing on him and there's a worship song playing in the background and there's a dove and there's a rainbow and, and he kind of comes out and he's on the beach and he's got pineapple express in one hand, a pina colada in the other and there he is and everything is just wonderful. But that's not how... Salvation often works. Sometimes salvation is messy, as in really messy. Believe me, as as someone who has the privilege of being involved in pastoral care, I can tell you with experience, not only in my own life, but in those that we love and want to serve in this church, the process of salvation is messy. Why is that? It's because our sin is messy. Our sin is and this is what we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks. We, we are like Jonah. Like we, it's like in our sin, we are like in the belly of that fish, and it's dark, and, and, and it's hopeless, and there's despair, and it stinks, and it smells. But then there's that calling out to God, salvation. Any saving, saving is going to come from you, 
and from you alone. And God in his grace causes this fish to spit him out, but to vomit him out. Sometimes the way that God saves us is messy. Friends, you know what I'm talking about? We've got stories all around the room, don't we? Of some of you are thinking of, of, of when you chose to follow Jesus, but the messiness involved in that. You know, whether it's things in your own life that you knew, I've got to, I've got to lay this down. And that's, that's going to cost me friendships. That's going to cause tension in my family. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's, it's going to stink. It's going to be messy. But we need to remember that verse that comes before salvation belongs to the Lord. And God's there. He's with Jonah through this. And even though the process of salvation is messy, it is still salvation. It is still saving. So let's not be too uh, discouraged or, or despondent only looking at the messiness of it. Let's also recognize, actually, God, there's a saving work that you are doing because my sin, the sin that I have been in, is messy as well. And that's why the process of salvation is so messy. Nowhere do we see this more fully than at the cross of Jesus Christ. The process of salvation and of our salvation being won by Christ on the cross is messy. A Roman cross, a means of execution, very different than the crosses that we wear around our neck now, which can be very sterile, very clean, very shiny. Roman crosses did not look like that. Jesus Christ, along with two criminals... Beside him, there on the cross, and it's dirty, and it's gross, and there's blood. And you know what else there most likely would have been? is vomit. The process of salvation is messy. But salvation belongs to the Lord. It's still saving. It is still God choosing to save us. Praise God. So in light of this, in light of Jonah's sin, in light of his rebellion, and in in everything that we've kind of read about so far in this story, and if you've not been with us, feel free to get onto the website and get caught up there. You know that we've really been focusing in on how, how Jonah and his rebellion, like there's so much of that in us, in each of us in this room. So then when we get to Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, we shouldn't read it too quickly. Because Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 is absolutely amazing. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Like the fact that that's even in there, the fact that that's even in the Bible should shock us. It should shock us. And God speaks to Jonah again. And it's interesting what God says. Also, it's interesting what God does not say. What he does say is, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it in the message that I tell you. It's like, are we, sorry, this is kind of deja vu. This feels like the very beginning of chapter 1. That's exactly what we're supposed to think. Notice what God does not say. Jonah, my goodness, you really messed that up, didn't you? We need to talk about this whole whale thing. We need to talk about what happened on, on, on the ship. We need to talk about when the sailors calling out to their, all their gods, and you wouldn't even pray out to me. We, we, we've got to talk about this. God is so gracious. He is so gracious. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. This is how God is in his fathering of us. He doesn't rub Jonah's nose in it. Look at the whale. Look look at you. You stink right now. Yeah, maybe I'll be gracious to you, but let's talk talk about this. Look at your filth. Look at your disgusting, kind of where you are. Shame on you. Shame on you. No, God doesn't do that. 
Jonah, my son, I want to speak to you again. I want to speak to you again. Arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against that city the message that I give to you. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, like it is, it is grace. Like, it is grace. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And we, we, we want to believe in a God of second chances, don't we? And I've got good news for you this morning. God is, is so patient with us. He's so patient with Jonah. He's so patient with us. Coming again, my son, my daughter, and speaking to us again. No matter what your filth has looked like, no matter what story you've walked into this room with, this morning, no matter what this past week, month, year, 10 years has looked like in your life, do you believe that there's a God who is a gracious Heavenly Father who just graciously and gently and tenderly says, Come close. I want to I speak to you. I want to tell you the plan that I have for you, and it's for your good. Do you believe that this morning? Or this morning, do you find that you come? wanting to focus more or find yourself, at least in your mind, focusing more on, on how disgusting you think you feel and on how, no, I, I just, I can't be near him. I, I, I have to be away. There's Jonah. He's on a beach. He's on a beach having just been vomited out of the whale. Surely the holy God of the universe would go, ugh, but he doesn't. He doesn't. God is so gracious, so tender, and so close. Friends, let's be encouraged by this. If you've been with us through the series so far, you, you, you probably are understanding that God is, is much more interested in working in Jonah on this journey to Nineveh than how he wants to work through Jonah when he gets to Nineveh. We're going to talk a bit about that here in chapter 3, and it's not that I'm saying that that's insignificant or doesn't matter. But God is much more committed to the process, isn't he? Kind of that, that, that journey along. And in our culture, in our Christian culture, we can get really fixed kind of on, on the end goal. And uh, if you're here and you're a Christian, it can be easy to think of the end goal being heaven. Like, that's it. I just, I, I, if I just get to heaven, if I can just get to that place, if I, and what I'm saying here is, if I can just get to the destination, the place that I need to get to, uh, when I was younger, I worked in a Christian radio station, and uh, on Saturday nights, we had a Southern Gospel music show, and uh, it, 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 was, it was interesting for me. It was a very trying experience for me. I'm not a big Southern Gospel fan, but I remember that most of the Southern Gospel songs that we played on that Saturday night show uh, had to do with heaven, and this week, out of curiosity, in a moment of weakness, I decided to Google Southern Gospel Top Charts. And uh, these are some of the songs that, that, that came back. So there's a song that's in the charts right now called, I Know I'll Be There. All right? Another one called, Heaven Just Got Sweeter for You. Another one called, Longing for Home. And another one called, I Can Hardly Wait. Do you see a theme there? Heaven, the destination. If I can just get there, there was also a song called Grab Your Umbrella, which I have no idea what is going on there. I don't know if that's like a Rihanna, Southern Gospel twist, or really what's happening. I was thoroughly confused. Still am. Uh, But the main theme is heaven, the destination. And I think that actually points to something that can exist largely in Christian culture. If we can just get to heaven, just that, that destination. Now, friends, don't hear me wrong. The Bible speaks about heaven in glorious ways. Glorious ways. 
You know, when Jesus said, I'm with you always, and I'm with you always, right? It's not just, I'm going to be with you in heaven. Just try to get yourself to heaven. Just try to get yourself there. Jesus is with us on the journey, and he's committed to working in us on the journey. He's with you now. Friend, if you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he is with you now. Oh, this journey feels so hard. It's such a struggle. Again, in, in, my, in my role within the church, which is such a privilege of serving people pastorally, something that often will come up is people coming and saying, Rich, could you please pray for me because there's a decision that I need to make and I don't, want to get it, I don't want to get it wrong. I really want to seek God on this decision. Now, well done. Of course, we would love to pray with you. Your life group leaders would love to pray with you for that thing. Keep bringing those things. However, often what is really being said is, I'm afraid that if I make the wrong decision and I choose to pursue the wrong destination, that God is not going to bless me. And I'm afraid of that. That's often what is being said. I just, I want to hear God on this. I want to know God's leading. And again, what is being implied is that God leading, God's leading is one way and is not another. Now, let's be clear. In the case of Jonah, that is exactly what was going on. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no. God said to, to, to our family, to Natalia and I, and Zara at the time, Joshua was born over here, go to Ottawa. Okay, we're going to Ottawa. That was clear. But I also recognize in my own life that often God does not give a specific destination. Often. Sometimes he does. Sometimes. But I would say that that is not the norm. But so often we look for the specific destination. Whether it's a city or the exact job or the exact degree or the exact opportunity. I think in those moments there's a question of, well, do you believe that God is going to be with you on on the journey? Where does this fear in us sometimes come from? If I choose the wrong one, then God won't be with me. When we think like that, we're not thinking like a son or a daughter of God. Jesus has committed to being with you always. He is with you by the power of his Holy Spirit. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you if you are in him. If you're part of the family of God. He won't. He is with you by the power of his Holy Spirit. And that includes if you get it wrong. Now, that's not an excuse to disobey God. Don't hear that. But even when we get it wrong, God is still with us and he's still working in it. We see that so clearly with Jonah. If God says, go to a specific place, you go. You go. That's the best place for you. But even in that case, if you get it wrong, God is still with you. And if you're in Christ, you're still a son or daughter of God and he still is committed to working it for your good. That might involve mess, That might involve correction and discipline. These are things that a loving father does to his child. We were looking at that earlier in the series. Don't despise the reproof of your father. Right? We read about that in Psalms and in Proverbs. We hear this sort of counsel that is being given. Don't despise it because it's evidence that you are a son. It's evidence that you are a daughter. I think so often in these situations of, oh, I don't know, there are two options here. I just don't know which one to decide. I think often what God is saying is, my son, my daughter, I've given you freedom to decide. If you're not making this decision for, for, for fleshly reasons, as in like if it's, not to pursue, if it's not in pursuit of sin, well, that job pays a lot more money and that one doesn't, but they'd both be good and I really want more money. 
well, yeah, be careful there. That's probably going to end in hurt or in disappointment or, or yeah, you've got to be careful there because money could be the God in that situation. But if you know God in, in both these things, I see how I could honor you and, and glorify you in both. I don't feel like one is being motivated by kind of fleshly things and just something that I want selfishly in me. I often think God's saying, my son, my daughter, just decide. And I'm with you. And I'm for you. And I'm not going to abandon you. And I'm not going to leave you. Jonah is just as much about what God wants to do in one man on his way to Nineveh as it is about what God wants to do through one man when he gets to Nineveh. So in grace, God again speaks to Jonah, telling him to go to Nineveh. This time Jonah does it. And we see that in verse 4. The message that Jonah brings into the city is this, is yet 40 days, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, that's a paraphrase. Uh, We can understand from what is later said uh, in Jonah that what Jonah would have also preached was, if you don't repent, okay? If you don't repent, the city is going to be overthrown. If you do repent, God may relent from what he is going to do. And again, we see that from later on. So what we're seeing in verse 4 is a bit of a paraphrase there. And it's interesting how the city responds. Jonah goes and he preaches this message. Now, commentators have, have, have said some very interesting things around here because at that time in the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, there was lots going on that made many people in the city, and judging from how the king responds, it's safe to say that him as well, that made them think that somehow some sort of divine judgment was coming. There had been revolts in the Assyrian Empire. There had been plagues. There had been natural disasters, natural events. People were really on edge. That's what's kind of going on in the background. So then when Jonah shows up, finally, and he preaches this message, it did not fall on deaf ears. Like God had gone there in advance and had prepared people's hearts to hear this. And this is a very valuable thing for us to understand. When God calls us to go and to speak truth to people and to carry his word to people, we never do it in isolation. Never do we do it in isolation. Because if God has called us to go and to take this message to those around us or to another place or whatever it may be, God's Holy Spirit has gone there in advance and has prepared the hearts to receive it and to hear it, or at least the hearts that he has chosen to receive it and to hear it. We never go alone. We never go in isolation. I want to tell you a quick story about this that that I have clung to over the past three years since this church has started. Uh, Five years ago now, Natalia and I came to Ottawa, Stayed with a woman uh, who's in this, uh, in this church who hosted us incredibly well on a few visits while we were checking out Ottawa. I grew up in New Brunswick and was then in the UK for a number of years. We felt God say, go to Ottawa and start this church. So uh, on one of our trips over, our friend, Kate, said, well, where do you, where do you want to go in the city? I said, oh, well, there, there's a few different places that I'd like to check out that I found online that I'm just kind of curious about. I didn't know Ottawa at all at the time. And she said, yeah, that sounds cool. There's actually a place that I used to volunteer at that I would actually love to, to take you and, and, and show you. And it's near one of the places that you want to see. I said, yeah, that sounds great. So this was a ministry that Kate had served at a number of years ago. It included a residential time there serving and just doing phenomenal work. And uh, off we went. And we got to the, the, the front steps of this very uh, impressive building. And a man opened the door up the steps, opened the door to welcome us in. And I felt God speak to me instantly, saying, this man and his wife are struggling to conceive. Okay, 
Now, I don't, this, like, I grew up, I grew up in a, in a, I grew up in a Baptist church out east. This doesn't happen, okay? This is not a normal, everyday thing for me, at least in my upbringing. I know there'd be many Baptist churches that would kind of walk in that. The one that I grew up in didn't, in my growing, growing up, the environment I grew up in, this was not something that was normal. This is for wacky people, people who are delusional. Kind of, that's what it is. So there I am thinking, great, I'm wacky, I'm delusional. I think God has just spoken to me, I'm not sure. I've never met this guy in my life. God, you want me to go and say to him, Hi, my name's Rich. You and your wife are struggling to conceive. Hi. <laughs> Can I get a cup of coffee? Like, like how is this going to work? But we go up the stairs. He says, hey, it's great to have you here. I'd love to introduce you to my wife. So we go in. We go in this room, and he introduces us to his wife. Then he says to Natalia, Can I show you around? Can I show you around where we do the different things that God has called us to do here? Yeah, okay. So we go around, and the entire time being shown around this building, I cannot shake this, right? Like, I cannot shake this. I know that God has spoken to me. And I'm in my head having a real kind of conversation with God. God, you've called us to this city. You've called us someday to start a church in the city. I don't want to be the wacky prophetic guy that lands in Ottawa and goes around. God says this. God says, I don't, I just, I don't want to be painted with that brush. You are going to have to make it so clear to me, which sometimes is a really dangerous prayer. <laughs> You're going to have to make it so clear to me if you want me to say this. So clear. No, <laughs> like I don't, I just don't want to. So we ended up out on this porch, out on this patio. And he said, can I tell you the story of how we got this building? Yeah, I'd love to hear. And he says, I won't tell you the full story, but basically the way they got that building was through God speaking. Somebody said to them, they said, I, I, I see uh, God giving you a building and I see a red flag. And the building that they were then given not long after is the former Chinese embassy in Ottawa. Red flag. And as soon as he said that, I knew, I knew it. I knew this, this guy, he believes that God speaks. I said, God, you're going to have to make it clear. And God had made it clear, so I interrupted him. I said, sorry. God says that you and your wife are struggling to conceive. But the next time that my wife and I see you, you're going to have a child. <laughs> <laughs> and he took one step back. And he said, yeah, we've just had our latest unsuccessful round of IVF. I said, and this is so hard. I said, can we pray for you and your wife? He said, if it's okay, could you just pray for me right now? His wife was downstairs, remember, chatting with Kate. He said, if it's okay, could you just pray for me, pray for us, but just with me here, because this is so hard for her as well. I said, absolutely, absolutely we can. So Natalia and I prayed for them right there on that porch. About three months later, we get a text from Kate saying that they were pregnant. Few months after that, we get a photo of the baby. I'm not saying this because I think there's anything perfect in me. That this is God and His grace. I wish I could tell you a hundred stories like that. I pray that God would speak through me more, like that. I want to encourage you to pray that as well. That was a very, very strange thing for them, and very strange for me. I assure you of that. My point is this: is that I didn't go there in isolation. The Holy Spirit had gone ahead. The Holy Spirit had laid the groundwork, had softened the hearts to receive that. And it was all for their good. And you know what? God has done a huge amount to me. I have clung to that story. When church planting has been hard, when I've had feelings of like, man, this is such tough going, starting a new church. Why would you start, why, why start a new church? There's so many churches around. Why start a new church? Because I believe that Jesus said he will build his church. And I believe the church is God's plan A for restoration in this world. That's why. But man, it's hard. 
And God has gone back in my mind to that story and said, look at how I went ahead of you there. Do you not think I'm going ahead of you now? Do you not think I'm preparing hearts to hear the message that I've given you and others in this church? This this is not just about me. Don't hear that in the story. My goodness, this is not just about me. Do you think that I'm not going ahead of what is for Grace City and the people that God is gathering here? I'm with you and I'm going ahead of you. Preparing a way for this message to be received. Friend, the question is, when God speaks to us and gives us a message to carry, as he did with Jonah, will we go? Will we do it? It's not for us to determine what the soil is like. It's not for us to determine, well, no, that, that person won't receive it and this person will. When God says to go and do it, we go and do it. And we leave it to God as to whether or not it will fall on ears that will hear it or fall on ears that will not. God goes ahead of us to prepare the way for the truth that he's given to us to declare. God had gone ahead of Jonas when Jonah's message of repentance was given. Nineveh was quick to repent. What are they repenting from? In a word, their wickedness. Their wickedness. And they repent quickly. So across the city, people believed God. They call for a fast. They put on sackcloth. Okay? They, 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 that's, that's like kind of, it hardly could be described as clothing. Okay? They humbled themselves. They really humbled themselves. From the greatest of them to the least, and as if we need Scripture to make the point about from the greatest of them, we then read about the king in verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he ar- this is the king of Nineveh. At the time, the most powerful empire, ravaging other nations. People were terrified. And imagine how terrified other nations would have been of this king. And how does this king respond the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, him as well, and sat in ashes. Again, in our Christian culture, there can be this thing around repentance of, have you said sorry to God? That's, that's an important question for us to ask. Have we, have we said sorry for our sin? But repentance, as spoken about in Scripture, goes beyond just, just a, God, I'm sorry. And that being it, there's something happening here about the posture of the heart in Nineveh and the posture of the heart of the king. They are torn up about their wickedness. They are absolutely torn up about it. And they know it. They know it deep down. They know it in their hearts. So the sackcloth and ash is an outward sign of something that they're feeling in their hearts. God, we are sorry. We repent. And we have so lost something of this in our culture. We've so lost something of of appropriate repentance, of realizing, and I know we've spoken about this a lot over the past two weeks, but of realizing our sin, of where that brings us to, of our total depravity before God, and being totally torn up about our sin. God, I repent of it. It's wicked. They repented of their wickedness. And what do we see happening, certainly here with the king, is that his identity gets flipped. Do you see it? The king, the king, what does he do? He arose from his throne. The king gets up from his throne, removes his robe. The king covered himself in sackcloth, the least like royal garment thing you could put on your body. And then what does he do? As if he's not humbled enough as it is, he sits in ashes. He sits in dirt. The king, the king. Repentance leads us to a laying down of who we were before we realize the depth of our sin. 
It leads us to taking these things and saying, that, that is not me. That is not how I'm going to be seen anymore. I choose to lay that down. Imagine those around him kind of looking and, and watching this. This is the king. People in his kingly chambers, he stands up. I suspect the servants around him would have stood up. It's a sign of respect. Maybe bowing their heads. But what's he going to do next? He takes off his robe. He puts on this sackcloth. And he sits in ashes. Friends, the question that we ask when people are baptized, we're going to continue to ask in this church, have you repented of your sin? Friends, that must run deeper than a quick, I'm sorry. Church, God is much more interested in the posture of the sinner's heart than he is in the words of the sinner's prayer. And I get so frustrated. You know, the sinner's prayer, prayed the prayer, The prayer, prayed the prayer. No, no, no. What is the posture of the heart? God cannot be tricked. He cannot be fooled. It's not a formula. Pray these exact words. We simply don't see it. Even Jesus in teaching the Lord's prayer was not when you pray, pray these exact words. It was when you pray, pray like this. This is what the content of your prayer should include, but it's not follow this formula. That's not what Jesus is saying. And when it comes to salvation, it's the same thing. What is the posture of the heart when it comes to repentance? Are we grieved about our sin? And has that led us to the place where it's Jesus, I need you. I am desperate for you. I need the grace and mercy of God. And that is exactly what is on the mind of the king. I need the mercy of God. This is the king of Nineveh. The king of Nineveh gets up from his throne, he covers himself in ash cloth, and he sits in sackcloth, and he sits in ash. This is a wicked king. This is a sinful king. This is the king who has decreed and and given orders over his people, including over his military, to go out and to kill people and to torture them. Women, children, brutal, disgusting wickedness. And that wickedness was also affecting the Assyrian Empire. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Their violence against other nations was spilling over into their own. That's what violence does. Sooner or later, it affects us as well. And this wicked king humbling himself to that point. Friends, what do we see in Jesus Christ? We see the king of kings. We see the perfect Jesus Christ, the perfect king of kings. King of kings who has never sinned, who has never given a wicked order ever and never will. What does he do so that God might show mercy? He humbles himself. He humbles himself, leaving the majesty of heaven, being born into what? Into dirt. Into a smelly stable. Animal waste around it. Hay lying around dust and dirt. He's wrapped in swaddling cloth and he's laid into a manger. And he grows up, still never giving a single wicked command. 
not sinning once, ever at all. And he ends up going to a cross, a filthy, disgusting cross, messy salvation. And on the way to the cross, what does he do? As he's there, he's being ridiculed. He has a crown of thorns. He's being made fun of. He's carrying this cross. And what does he do on the way to Calvary? As he stumbles in the dirt. This king in Jonah is pointing us to Jesus Christ. Not not as a wicked king, but as a perfectly innocent king. The king of Nineveh was 100% king when he was on the throne in all of his royal garments. As he was when he was covered in sackcloth and sat in ashes, he's still the king in both. And Jesus Christ is still the perfect king of kings when he's seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning in majesty, and when he stumbled in the dirt on his way to Calvary's hill. Still the king. One deserving of calling out for the mercy of God on behalf of his people because he was wicked as well. That's the king of Nineveh. And Jesus Christ as the perfect king of kings, not calling out for mercy from God because he himself was a sinner, but because you are and because I am. And what does God do at the end of Jonah chapter 3? And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God shows mercy. In Christ, the perfect king of kings, who humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross, if your faith is in him, God relents for the righteous anger and and punishment that you deserve and that I deserve. And it's placed on Jesus so that we do not ourselves need to experience destruction from God. Praise God. There is no one like this King Jesus.